This podcast is researched and presented by enthusiasts, not experts, for entertainment purposes only. None of the content you are about to hear is meant to be taken as legal, medical, financial, survival, or any other kind of advice. Please consult with professionals. This episode contains mature content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Please be advised. Welcome to In the Labyrinth of Death, the podcast where we explore the choices people make in disasters and whether those choices keep them alive. I'm Finn. And I'm Marina. This week, we'll be talking about home invasions. In this episode, and in all episodes, we discuss real stories about real people facing impossible situations. We'll discuss the choices that they make and what the ultimate outcome of that situation is. We aren't here to judge what choices they make, but we will try to learn from them so we know what our options are in case we're ever in a similar situation. The story we're going to start out with today is a rough one. I remember hearing about it when I was a kid when it first happened. We're both from the area, which is Richmond. We didn't know the victims personally, but we know people who did, and we've been to the family's toy shop. I think about this case a lot just because it feels so close to home. I'm going to leave out some of the graphic details because I don't think they're necessary for understanding the situation. The year was 2006 in Richmond, Virginia. It was actually New Year's Day. Catherine... Kathy Harvey, 39, and her husband, Brian Harvey, 49, had two daughters named Stella and Ruby, who were nine and four. So on that day, only Kathy, Brian, and Ruby were home when two people named Ricky Javon Gray and Ray Dandridge burglarized their home, leaving their accomplice, Ashley Baskerville, waiting in the getaway car outside. The three family members were bound by Gray with packing tape found in the basement of their home. While they were bound... The older daughter, Stella, was brought home from a friend's slumber party. She rang the doorbell and waited with her friend and her friend's mother outside. Gray actually unbound Kathy so she could go upstairs to get her at the front door and bring her inside. At the door, Kathy had a brief conversation with the other mother, who noticed that Kathy was kind of pale and shaken. When asked if everything was okay, Kathy held her hand to her head in the shape of a gun and moved it around in a circle, like how you would if you were doing like the crazy hand motion. I think it's likely that Kathy was trying to communicate to the other mom, but unfortunately that motion that she did was just too subtle to be noticed. At one point, the other child actually tried to follow Stella back into the house, but Kathy prevented her from entering, which probably saved her life. After the conversation was over, the front door was closed again. Stella and Kathy were brought back down to the basement and rebound, where ultimately the whole family would be killed. Gray and Dandridge set the house on fire to obfuscate their crime. A family friend noticed that the house was on fire and they called 911, but it was too late. The family, including the two little girls, had had their throats cut and were also bludgeoned with a hammer. It was a horrible, horrible crime, and it shook the whole city. It's really stuck with me for the last 17 years. As their crime spree continued, two days later, Gray and Dandridge would go on to burglarize another house, and then three days after that, kill three members of the Baskerville-Tucker family, which actually included the murder of their former accomplice, Ashley Baskerville. It's a fucking shit show. Gray was executed in 2017, and Dandridge is serving life in prison without the possibility of parole. Fuck both of them. Alright, so the reason I brought this case up is because I've always wondered, what would have happened if they hadn't allowed themselves to be bound in the first place? Or what if Kathy had just run out of the house when the front door opened? Or what if she just said to the other mom we're being held hostage in the basement? The second family I mentioned, the one that happened two days after, 
they were burglarized, but actually talked themselves out of being bound because the wife had a disability and that couple survived. I want to be careful to remember that the Harveys were in like this terrible, impossible situation and they were doing their best to keep themselves and their children alive. And they did the best they could with the knowledge that they had in that situation. We have to remember they had their four-year-old daughter in the house with them, and I can completely understand why they complied. However, we can look at their experience and learn from it. They went through what is like the worst case scenario and they didn't survive. And when I think about it, my personal takeaway from all of this is that you should assume you're in that worst case scenario and act accordingly. Because maybe you really are only being burglarized, or maybe they're just monsters and they're going to kill your whole family and then burn your house down. We talk about being in a labyrinth of death in this podcast, and this is exactly what this scenario is. We don't know what choice would keep you alive or what's going to make you die or make your loved ones die. So if you're assuming that you're on the worst case path in the labyrinth, as the Harveys were, you may actually stay alive. My reaction time is super slow, and the thought of having like a lost moment in a crisis really terrifies me. And when I say a lost moment, I mean like this key transient point in time where I could take action and make a difference. And I could see all of this happening to me, and I just, I miss it, and it goes by me if I don't force myself into action. There's no good transition from a case like this, so let's get into the background info and statistics about some of these home invasions. The home invasion definition, and this varies by source, is either, quote, any crime committed by an individual unlawfully entering a residence while someone is home, end quote, or it includes intent of violence according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. And a small caveat here. I'm going to talk about this more in a minute, but the vast majority of home invasions occur either when nobody is home or they don't result in violence even if somebody is at home. So it's kind of a binary event. There's a lot that can be done in advance to deter a would-be home invasion. And if one does happen when you're there, the best case scenario is that they're going to flee when they realize you're home. Later, we're going to get into some options for the worst case scenario, which is when they're in your home and they're willing or even planning to harm you. Home invasion statistics vary widely depending on the source, so we've done our best to select statistics from reliable sources. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, in 2003 to 2007, there were 3.4 million burglaries per year. About 28% of those burglaries occurred when there were members of the household present, and about 7% involved violence towards a member of the household. Quote, and again, this comes from the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Simple assault, 15%, was the most common form of violence when a resident was home and violence occurred, while rape was only 3%. Now, this part is interesting. 28% of burglaries were committed by a total stranger. I think this is so crazy. So I was doing the math on this, and at first I thought it was like 32% were done by people who knew you. My math is bad. So it was actually 72 2% of burglaries, home invasions, were done by people who at least know you a little bit. So that makes me wonder how many of them were like the friends of your kid or they were people who came over to your house to do work. It's just crazy to think about. I'm not sure what the breakdown is, but unless it's a burglar hitting a string of houses in your neighborhood or something like that, and you're just super unlucky, you're probably going to get targeted or you're probably being targeted because someone has seen something inside your house that is valuable and that they want to sell. 
that's actually scarier to me than just like a random burglary in the neighborhood. Yeah, and I also saw that couples with no children were the least likely to be burglarized, but single mothers with children are the most likely to be burglarized while someone from the household is home. And I wonder if that's because like they're perceived as being more vulnerable because it's a single woman with children, or are they just going to be more likely to be like in the house at more often? Yeah, it's not great, but the numbers do help us understand some of the precautions that can be taken in order to help prevent a home invasion from happening in the first place. So for example, about 40% of home invaders came in through an unlocked door or window, so it was just not locked. And about 17% came through a door or window that was completely fucking open. So whether it's unlocked or locked, it doesn't matter, it's already open. Some of those folks may have given up rather than find an alternative way to enter the domicile had those doors or windows been securely locked in the first place. Yeah, and I just want to add here that, again, it could have happened to anybody, but the Harveys were selected by those two criminals because their front door was open. They were basically going around trying doors and the Harvey store happened to be open. Yeah, their, their place was case, probably. Yeah. yeah. So following this, 6% were sleeping when the burglary occurred. About 43% of home invasions happened in the daytime and only about 20% happened at nighttime. Nighttime being between 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., about a 12-hour window. I just want to add with those numbers, I realize those don't add up to 100. I promise these came from like the legitimate Bureau of Justice Statistics. And for the record, when we're talking about all these stats, these are from like an American perspective. It's an American organization. But I would assume that in most similar countries that it would have similar numbers. These numbers are a little bit old, but we went with them because they were so comprehensive. We also found similar numbers from a 2019 FBI report that will be linked in the show notes with the rest of our sources. Let's talk about guidelines now. And this is actually my favorite part to research and to talk about. I don't think my brain in particular works well in a crisis. So knowing what the experts say helps me kind of like think through it and process it in advance. I wouldn't want to miss a course of action that was available to me just because I didn't know that it was a thing I could do. According to a study from UNC Charlotte, burglars considered, quote, Close proximity of other people, including traffic, people in the house or business, and police officers, the lack of escape routes, and signs of increased security, including alarm signs, alarms, dogs inside, and outdoor cameras or other surveillance equipment, end quote, when considering which house they were going to invade. Yeah, but none of those things are going to actually stop someone who's made their mind that they're going to go into your house and do you harm or, or rob you or what have you. That's true. And in terms of like guidelines that they're out there for home invasions, there's a whole bunch of those like pseudo military gun nut machismo websites about what to do in a home invasion. And I think that really minimizes the number of choices that are actually available in those moments because those kinds of people are so focused on what they care about and pushing their issue. And I don't find it very useful for most folks. So for me, the number one goal will be to get help. So I'd want to call 911 or like our security system has a panic button. Like if you have that, click it. I'm also insanely loud. I think I mentioned that last episode. So I feel like if I could get away and get at least outside of the house, I think I could wake neighbors up, I hope. So second guideline, this is coming from us. Don't comply and fight back. So when we're- You mean don't comply, you should fight back. <laughs> Correct. Do not comply with their demands and you should try to fight them. So when you think about like, we were talking about this in the Barris episode, when you have like a wild animal, you want to think about tipping the scale to make yourself more of a threat so that it's a threat to their well-being and they want to give up and flee. 
Yeah, both men and women underestimate how easy it is to disable a man. All men who are listening, you know what I'm going towards, which is going to be kicking you in the nuts, grabbing the testicles, the groin area. I don't care if you're like The Rock. I don't care if you're like seven feet tall, you weigh 300 pounds. Anybody who's gone through testicular torsion, it knocks you out. Anybody who has had a, a slight graze against the testicles will really reset your worldview. Like, I don't care if there's adrenaline or not. So, what both women and men need to understand is if you're in a life or death situation, and honestly, most likely your aggressor is going to be a man, you should try to disable them by targeting their groin, their testicle, their nuts. I'm being dead serious. If I was going to try to hurt someone and I was kicked in the nuts, I would regret my entire life decisions. Like, it's such a terrible, terrible experience. And you're going to really flip that table when you do that. And when I read it, when you were reading it just then, I read it as genticular. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I lost my fucking mind. Okay. Um. All right, let's go. Oh, fuck me. Okay. And we also just binge watched like all 24 episodes of that new Netflix show called I Survived a Crime. It's fucking awesome, by the way. Yeah, it's up there for me with the uh, something bit me exclamation point as being like the best TV shows of all time. And we watched one where someone breaks into the house and the wife kind of freezes, which is probably what I would do. And the husband actually like literally walks up and grabs the invader's shotgun and just doesn't let go. And he basically gets like dragged out of the house. And I think that was super quick thinking and super smart. And I don't think I could actually fight a dude hitting him in the balls or not. But I think that I could probably do something like that where I just like grab on and I'm a dead weight and I don't like let them take control of the weapon. Yeah. And what I liked about that particular case was that the guy who grabbed the gun, the shotgun from the home invader, even though like it didn't exactly become like a clean like disarm or something like that, he, he had to hold on to the shotgun just to not get killed or have his girlfriend get killed. It was something he made a choice. And this is the labyrinth of death we're talking about. He made a conscious choice, maybe even a subconscious choice to do that. And what I'm trying to impress upon the people listening is that all men, every single man who's ever existed, currently exists, or will exist, if you inflict serious grave harm to the testicles, like no joke, it doesn't matter who they are they will stop what they're doing. Because if you think about it, when you punch a shark on the nose or the eye, it stops what it's doing. When a crocodile is biting you and you push against its upper palate, its epiglottis, whatever it is, it stops what it's doing. With a bear, what do you do? Gouge its eyes out, you push your arm down its fucking throat, it stops what it's doing. The male human equivalent is to destroy or seriously harm the testicles. Because think about it, who's going to wear a cup? Who's going to wear body armor a by their groin? Person. I think we're talking about balls. <laughs> no, but it's, it's so serious, though. Like, it's not a joke. Talking about how you stop being attacked, home invasion or not, 
by going for the balls, it is so crucial. Nobody talks about that. I know that in women's self-defense classes, they do, but I don't think it's impressed upon women enough because you've never been through that situation. There isn't an organ on the female body that stops you like there is for men. That's true. Right? I I do want to make sure that, at least for me, I want to have a lot of options available to me. And I think being locked in on one is not the greatest because you could get the psycho who has a cup. And then my brain would be like, oh, well, that was my plan. I've now exhausted my plan and I'm going to have to prepare for death. Yeah, obviously, the first thing you should go for is try to neutralize the weapon that they have. And if that's the case, that their weapon is not effective, you can then go for the balls. For example, in the case where the home invader came in with the guy with the shotgun, right? If his girlfriend had been more effective, she could have gone for the home invader's nuts while her boyfriend was grabbing onto the shotgun. Because once the shotgun has become neutralized, the invader, the attacker, the aggressor is now open. Two versus one, you would bet on the two almost every time. Yeah. And right? I want to add that like, one, I would probably do, unless I force myself to act, I'd probably do yeah. what the, the girlfriend wife did in that situation too. Yeah. And that guy, just to sum up that story for anyone who hasn't seen the episode, you should go watch it. But the guy like left the house with the husband hanging onto the gun and he actually came back to ask for his gun back, which is like blows my mind how yeah, stupid criminals like, like the are. nerve to do that. Yeah, he crazy. like, it's, yeah. it was just crazy. So there's just think about your options. Mm-hmm. And if one thing doesn't work, don't be me and have your mind go blank. Try something else and just keep thinking through things that you can do. I was thinking about the Harvey situation too. Like it was a two versus how many people? Like four? No, right? it, was, was... it was two on two, but it was two men. It was an, actually an uncle and a nephew. There was four people in the family, yes. but at home, it was the mom, the dad, and the four-year-old daughter. And then the two men broke into the house and then right. they had the getaway car waiting. So it, was, it would have been two adults versus two adults, okay. but it would be two men Two like older men and then the younger nephew and then the, yeah. And they had the four-year-old daughter to worry about. Sure, that's fine. But you should still try to go for the nuts. For real though, it's not like a joke. I, I, I know it's not, but we need to move on in the script. We've talked about nuts for like half of the episode. <laughs> I just, it's, it's important. Okay, well, we're moving on. We're moving on from nuts for now. Okay. okay. For now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's three responses, right? You can fight or flight or freeze. If you can't fight, which is literally what we've been talking about almost the whole time, if you can't fight, you should try to flee. So get out of the house. Break through a window if you can, but get out of the house. I have actually thought about this. I've been like, well, I'm. I'm a flea person. If I, if I can get past freeze, I'm a flea. I just like want to exit. And I've yes. wondered if I could physically jump through a window. Like I hate martial arts, but when you're in martial arts, you're supposed to like punch through the board, right? Instead of like punching the surface, you're supposed to like go through it. Do you like, I've always wondered if I could like jump through the window. Not our windows. Our windows are way too sturdy and reinforced. I am also sturdy and reinforced. I know, but these are like double layered. You really think I would just bounce off? Yeah, I don't think you would do anything to these okay. windows. I'm not. I'm sure try. for an older house. Think about the thin glass that's on your like old bookshelf thing. Yeah, I have this old like, like if, lawyer's bookshelf with the glass covering yeah, the front of it. That yeah, you could bust through, but not these new ones. A part of me really wants to try, but I'm I'm not going to do that. That's a concussion waiting to happen. Yeah, exactly. So if you know ahead of time that you're not a fight person or you don't think you are, then 
try to run, choose the flight option, because I don't know if the numbers go into this. They probably don't because it's so subjective. But freezing is the worst thing you can do. Choosing to be a deer in the headlights when there's a home invasion going on is the worst thing you can do. Yeah, because you're not removing yourself from the situation. You're not getting help and you're just becoming compliant and doing whatever they want, which is exactly what they exactly. want, right? They want to have the upper hand and the power in that situation. It's all about control. Yeah, and then you're yep. just basically, you're just completely pliable. Exactly. So speaking of fight, if you are comfortable with a gun, then that could be a really, really effective option, but it's super highly situational. For example, a lot of women are very, very uncomfortable with guns. So if you're going to have a gun, but you're not happy about it, you're probably better off not even having the gun in the first place. Yeah. And I want to say that it's not just women who are uncomfortable with guns. Lots of women are comfortable with guns. Yes. And lots of men aren't. Yes. I think you're saying that in particular because you're married to me and I'm not comfortable with guns. So like from my perspective, it's like it's almost an insurmountable hill. Like you'd have to have the gun. You'd have to be able to get to it in time, keeping in mind that like you've got kids and it's got to be locked away safely. I'd have to be comfortable to like actually use it for self-defense because I am a shaker. If I get nervous, I'm shaking. I lose all like my gross dexterity. So I, I think that me personally, I don't think I'd be able to do that. So when I think through like this kind of scenario, it's not part of my mental map of the options that I have, even if it is part of fence because you're more comfortable with that. So I think the important thing is just knowing what your personal options are so that you can know what choices are really realistically available to you so you don't waste time. And there's one thing I want to call back to. And for anyone who's familiar with the Golden State Killer and all that stuff, when I was learning about that, one thing stuck out to me is that he'd been stalking this one house. They used to keep a gun in the bedside table. He appeared in the night like he was always because he was such a creep. They opened the bedside table, take the gun out and try to shoot him. And he'd taken the bullets out. So you could be good with a gun, have one at hand because you don't have any children in the house and try to use it. And it's some fucking creep who's been stalking you. And that still won't help you. So that's still not getting laser focused on one option is still important. So just to recap, when you're in the middle of a home invasion and you're on the defense, there's really only two guidelines, two things that they tell you to do, which is to get help, call 911 and fight back. Yeah. And I would say when you're saying that they tell you to do, it depends on where you look. Honestly, some people yes. will tell you to comply. But and again, we're not experts. So, you know, listen to the experts and not us. But from what we could tell in the vast majority of cases, not complying was going to have a better outcome for you. And this is also heavily anecdotal. But in our research, I saw way fewer stories about complying and leading to a good outcome as opposed to not complying, leading to a good outcome. There's a lot more good outcomes from people who fight back. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, that makes sense. So I have more than one good story to go into. They're relatively small and they involve guns. So both of these home invasion situations involve guns on the defender side, and they're from two wildly different demographics. So the first account I'm talking about comes from a case that happened in November of 2019, so only a couple years ago. This happened in Florida, of course, and it involved a woman who ended up using an AR-15 to defend her family during a home invasion. So there were a bunch of armed burglars who had guns and other weapons. And they were attacking a woman and her husband. His name was Jeremy King. And it was just two masked men at this time. And they actually entered the home. They, and I quote from CBS News, pointed guns at Jeremy and his 11-year-old daughter and demanded money. So the motive was to break in 
and get some money out of it, right? It's like a robbery inside the house. Jeremy said that the two men began pistol whipping him and they ended up like beating him on the ground when he said he didn't have any money. And Jeremy, who said his wife was eight months pregnant, eight months, that's crazy. She's an eight month pregnant lady. And she's like actually up and like moving around and doing stuff. She's like waddling around, dude. She heard the commotion and she opened up the door to the bedroom to see what was happening, right? And one of the robbers who was assaulting Jeremy at the time then started to take a look at her and say, hey, the hell are you doing? The funny thing is, he actually starts shooting at her. Oh right? my God. There's a guy, there's a scumbag shooting at a pregnant woman. Right? Yeah. He's, Obviously pregnant. Yeah, he's real primo. So at that point, she actually grabbed this semi auto AR 15 and fought back. She shot back at that guy. And this is a quote from the CBS article again When he came toward the back door in her line of sight, she clipped him. He made it from my back door to roughly 200 feet out in the front ditch before the AR did his thing, said Jeremy, end quote. So she actually had landed at least one shot on this burglar, and he apparently made it out into the front ditch in front of their house, or I guess from the back of the house, and he actually died in that ditch afterwards. According to the end of the story, they're still looking for the second suspect. So this was a successful home defense where... Like I said, an eight-month pregnant lady got an AR-15, a real rifle, right? And successfully killed one of the two invaders and defended her home. I still don't want one in my house, personally, but... I'm not recommending that people have one in their home. I'm just saying that in this particular case, a pregnant lady who knew how to use an AR-15, this is probably not her first rodeo. She repelled the invasion. That's, I mean, that's impressive. I would have been trying to call 911 or maybe climbing out the window. So the second story about a successful home defense using a gun comes from, I think, CBS 11 News, kktv.com. And it comes from a homeowner who uses an AK-47 style gun, a quote, to fire back at invaders. Guess where this happens again? Florida. Of course. (laughs) Florida don't hate us. So I'm hearing that there's crime and people have inordinately large guns, which are not necessary, but... It is the story, so please continue. So so this homeowner in Florida, he had an AK-47 style gun, so not like a true AK, and he defended his house. This happened in July of 2022, so literally like a couple months ago. And the funny thing is this happened on a home surveillance system, so it was captured by home surveillance. And like the previous story, one of the suspects was armed, he had a weapon, and they could see it in the video itself. The guy who owned the house... His name is Simmons, I believe. I'm not sure if they have a full name. Simmons, and I quote, said the suspects forced their way into the home. The homeowner had a handgun, but it was wrestled away from one of the suspects. So this was a case where he actually had more than one gun, and he tried to use one of them as a first line of defense, but it was rendered ineffective. So he had his handgun wrestled away. So he ran and got his second gun, which is the AK-47 style, and started shooting to protect himself. This is, again, one guy versus three home invaders. And you can see in the video that they're actually running away after he starts blasting away. And the officials, the police at the time, said that the homeowner is not going to have any penalties. He's not going to face any sort of jail time for well, any It was damages. self-defense. Exactly, because yeah. it was self-defense. This story was really, really interesting because, like I said, more than one gun was used, but also the fact that since there was only one person involved this time, I think there's a large psychological factor that happens when you're using one of those bigger guns, like an AK-47, because normally when it's a one-on-three situation, you're going to bet on the three winning. But when there's like a loud-ass rifle, semi-auto rifle going on, you're going to flip the table 
and start getting into their heads. Like, this is a loud-ass gun. 47s are loud. And when you hear blasting, that's not coming from you or your friends. You're going to want to start getting the fuck out of there. I have to wonder a little bit about those situations because the way the stats are, most people breaking in don't want you home. And if you are home, they're going to freak out and leave. Very few are going in intending violence. So it's strange that you would have three folks come in willing to have like a full on like firefight and then be forced out like that. That seems like a really rare and intense scenario to me. It seems strange. And just to correct myself, the guy who's referred to as Simmons, he's actually the sheriff. So Sheriff Chip Simmons is the one who's recounting the incident through this news article. So that was just my two really quick, short and sweet stories about successful home defenses using guns. And again, I'm not making a recommendation for anybody to have guns in a fight or flight situation for home defense specifically. It was just that this is an option and it has been used effectively. There are cases, which I don't have on hand, but there are cases where people have guns and they actually are used against them. I think Israel Keys was one of those serial killers that actually had that. Or was it? You may be right. I don't remember. Israel Keys was the guy who would leave the kill kits around. He would like pick random locations, put together like a bucket, literally like a bucket of his kill supplies, bury it. There was a guy who said that broke into houses and he took the bullets out of the gun. Oh, you're talking about the Golden State Killer. Yeah, he didn't turn... The crazy thing is, he actually didn't even turn the gun against them. He still did, like, the binding thing where Mm -hmm. he would, like, make them tie each other up and separate them and put the Mm -hmm. plates on their back. But yeah, as as someone who is not comfortable with guns, the chance, if you're not 100% comfortable with it, the chance of it being, like, taken away from you and used against you is high. So I personally wouldn't fuck with it. Before we wrap up, there is one thing that I wanted to bring back up, and that is the levels of power and control in these situations with regard to being bound and what the perpetrator wants, which is control of the situation. So I always think about the Harvey case and BTK when it comes to being bound by home invaders. And you're basically powerless if you submit in that scenario, because once you've been bound by these people, your options for survival are severely limited. The only thing you can do up to that point is to continue screaming and hope someone hears you or somehow become unbound. And we actually talk about this a lot in our house. We've like decided that if someone has invaded our home and they're trying to tie us up, that things aren't going to go well. And that we're going to assume that they are fucked up people because they realize there's people in the house. They're willing to like go after you. And so we're not going to just give into it. And we're going to have to fight back because fight back, get help, do something. Because once you once you allow yourself to be kind of like minimized in power in that situation, then your your chance of survival is going to drop way off. So, and this is like a way less serious aside than like all of the other stories. And this is completely fictitious. But when I think about this, it reminds me of that movie like Wolf Creek from like 2005 or whatever, when I was in middle school, maybe early high school, watching it with like my best friend for the first time. And it's been a while since I've seen it. And I Do not recommend a rewatch of it if you saw it before as a child and have fond memories because it didn't hold up well. But basically, the idea is it's two women. They're like hitchhiking or backpacking across Australia. They get picked up by a serial killer. He tortures them, the whole thing. One woman gets loose and she can make a run for it. But then she hears her friend screaming and she goes back and helps her and they both die. So my friend and I have agreed, and I think this should be true in all circumstances, that you don't go back and help your friend and you instead go and get help. And then real people can come back and help. Otherwise, you're both going to die. So that's my answer is just leave and go get help because other people will be more effective than you are. Yeah. So you're saying don't try to be a hero and re-enter the dangerous situation. If you can get out, get help first and then 
maybe go back in if you feel like it. That's what I would do. Now, I, I realize that I'm saying that from someone who lives in the suburbs in a reasonable density of population. So when you're talking about like those people in Florida, I would not be surprised if they lived in a less dense population, which means you're going to take, it's going to be longer for police to get to your house. So in that scenario, maybe being able to defend yourself or taking action yourself, like it, it kind of tips in that favor versus going out to get help. If help's going to be like a 40 minute car ride or something. There's one last thing I want to say before we wrap up. You were talking about how you don't know of very many counterexamples for people complying with being bound and doing what they wanted and they survived. Yep. I actually found one that happened back in June 2022. So this is super recent from mm-hmm. when we're recording it. And it was a crazy case. I don't know what was going on with the people who were like doing the burglary and why they didn't just walk out. But basically, the victims in this case weren't native English speakers. And the burglars actually called someone to translate in the middle of the crime. So they like realized that they were having a communication issue and they called someone to translate their demands to the people that they were victimizing. And they actually ended up finding them. I think they were an elderly couple and they complied and they actually they survived and they were okay, even though I think there were weapons involved. So, you know, just there are counterexamples. And if you're elderly and maybe you can't fight back, do what you can based on the scenario. So all this whole episode being said, no one can know what they're going to do in an emergency situation. I have literally been startled in the past by like my grandmother jumping out from behind a wall and I scream and my knees give out, which is like the least effective a person can be. So I would probably have a super useless response. So that would be like a freeze or make yourself a puddle of uselessness in a real emergency. So all I know is that I might be dumb in the first place, meaning my knees might buckle and I just give up on life. But if I can at least prepare myself with options mentally in advance, I might not miss that window of opportunity where I could make a big difference in the overall outcome. And the goal being that I do not die. So that's all we had to say about home invasions. We might actually come back to this topic in the future because we, we talk about this a lot and we, we read and watch a lot of stuff about it. So there's more to be said. But for now, I think that's all we got for home invasions. We'll be back next week with another episode of In the Labyrinth of Death. In the meantime, send us your home invasion stories or other near misses with death to inthelabyrinthofdeath at gmail.com. See y'all next week.